Well, we are going to engage in a series, a small series, a little mini-series, if you will. And the series is going to be about generosity. It seems to me that at this time of year, everyone's thinking about we're just, we just saturate ourselves in the concept of giving. Even selfish people will give something at Christmas, right? Raise your hand if you know any selfish people. And then and, and even at Christmas, they'll give something. And so everyone's thinking about giving at Christmas. And it seems also that everyone's thinking about generosity at Christmas. Even non-generous people or ungenerous, I don't know what's the correct grammar for that, but you know, ungenerous people, for instance, want to be generous at Christmas, or at least they want to appear to be generous, am I right? And so everyone's thinking about giving and generosity, even non-generous people, even non-giving people. And so I thought, to piggyback on that or to take advantage of that, what we should do as a church family is invest ourselves into the question, are we generous people? We're already thinking about generosity. We're already thinking about giving. We should ask our question, am I a generous person? What I would like to do for the next two weeks is to ask ourselves, take a real hard soul look at ourselves and ask, are we righteous, just, generous people? And all three of those words mean the same thing. I want you to know. I don't really want to do that, do you? <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I'm a little scared of what I'm going to reveal about myself, about whether or not I'm generous. So I'd like to take a good hard look at generosity. And we're going to strive to see if we are and if we can be called generous people or can we be called a generous church. And if not, then I want us to embark on a journey for I don't know how long it's going to take. It might take a long time. Old habits die hard, don't they? To go on a journey and become the kind of man, the kind of woman that someone could say, that's a generous person. And more importantly, I want us to become the kind of church that Owensville would see as a generous church. So this is going to be a real, real heavy look at some things. Now, the Bible seems to say, and most scholars will add to this and say that if we find that we are not generous people, then we have a very serious problem. Serious problem. If we're not generous, then we have a gospel problem, which means we don't understand the gospel, and that's a big deal. If you don't understand the gospel that God gave his son, and his son gave his life so that you could have eternal life, and then you're not generous in return, you've missed something. Amen? Someone say amen. In fact, the Apostle John actually goes so far to say this. If someone who is supposed to be a Christian, ooh, what? <laughs> if someone is supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live well and sees a brother in need and won't help him, how can God's love be within that person? Little children, let us stop just saying we love people. Let us really love them and show it by our actions. Then we will know for sure by our actions that we are on God's side and our consciences will be clear even when we stand before the Lord. Whoa, that's a pretty heavy text, isn't it? Pretty harsh, pretty scary, frightening, if you ask me. Which is why I said, I want to take a serious look at our hearts, our souls, and ask ourselves, are we generous people, or do we just say we love people? Do we just say we love Jesus? Or have we allowed the love of Jesus to infiltrate our very beings, all aspects of our lives? Now, before I begin, I want to say a couple of things. Um, a, just a quick word of note, a caveat, if you will. In the next two weeks, I'm going to be preaching mostly to myself, okay? When I say mostly, I mean entirely to myself, really. Like, like this is for me. I need this. 
but I think that you're going to get something from it too. So don't think I'm pointing at you and saying, you need to give the church your money. I'm not saying that. That's just, you know me. I don't talk about money. I hate money. Okay. I don't have a lot of it and don't need a lot of it. Okay. I just need, you know, some good food every once in a while. Okay. <laughs> I don't care about money. So I'm not saying y'all need to give more money to church. That's not what this is about. This is about love swelling inside of our hearts that we're generous people. And I'm more concerned about people out there who are starving, who are hungry, who are lost, who are in great need. And I hate the fact that I don't do anything about that or don't do enough. And I hate the fact that our church is not either. So that's really what I'm talking about. And here's the thing that I know about myself. I've always been interested in the cause of justice to the poor. I've always been interested in it. If I hear a, hear a sermon about it, it always grips me. If I watch a commercial on TV, it always grips me. And I've always known the passages in Scripture that cut you like a knife, that compels us that we have to give to the poor. We studied the parables last spring. How many parables did Jesus say? If you've done it not to the least of these, you've done it not to me. I, I know all those verses. Despite all of that, it's not really changed me. I'm, I'm much more passionate about too many other things than I am passionate about giving to the poor and caring for the poor. So, that, so this is for me. I have to study so I can get this to, to be something that I'm more passionate about because I'm not passionate about it. And there's reasons why I'm not passionate about it, and I'll talk about those this week and next week because you're not passionate for the same reasons, primarily because... How do you discern who you should care for? How do you discern who, how you care for them? Because people take advantage and people are irresponsible. The other thing I want to say is this. Um, most of everything that I'm going to say today and tomorrow or next week comes from this book from Timothy Keller called Generous Justice. Now, Timothy Keller is very thorough and he's a doctorate, you know, very, but he's also a pastor in New York City. So he's, 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 I think he's eloquent. I think he's, he's easy to understand. Um, and, but yet, at the same time, heavy. Uh, if you're interested in this concept over the next two weeks, pick up the book. It's pretty easy to read if you ask me. But I want you to know that I'm stealing basically everything from that, that book, okay? That this is my plagiarism. I'm not plagiarizing. I'm just stealing. All right. <laughs> Let me open in a word of prayer because I, I think we need to. Father, uh, I'm going to fully admit before you and these people that I am selfish at least I believe that I am, and I'm not generous, and I want to be generous. I want to be like Job, who was generous with all his wealth, and he gave to the poor, and he gave to the needy. I want to be like um, people who, even though they don't have a lot of money, still give away a lot of money, like the, the, the widow who gave her might, and the, and the Lord himself said she has given more than anyone else. And I want our church to be generous people who just spread joy and spread generosity and spread love and compassion and righteousness and justice all over the place in this city. And I want that to start this week and next week and, and this season of Christmas. Might we become known as a people who reflect the generosity of God? And I ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let me read a verse for you in Scripture. I'm going to try to go fast because i got a lot. Micah 6.8, you've heard this before, perhaps? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, or the way I memorized it as a kid, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's a song, right? But to do justice and to walk humbly with your God. God has shown you. He's show Look, you want to know what you how you're supposed to live? God has shown you how to live. Love justice, love mercy, 
Walk humbly with your God. Let me read it for you in the, the message. It hits you in a little different way when you read it from the message. But he's already made it plain how you should live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. And it's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Instead, take God seriously. I like that. I like that. So we need to do justice. Let me just, let me just focus on those two. Do justice and love mercy. Do justice and love mercy. And at first, those seem like completely opposite kinds of things, doesn't it? What is justice? I want justice. Right? Kill them. Get them. You know, bad guys should die. That's justice and love mercy. What? <laughs> am I going to be Batman and get them? Or am I going to be Jesus and love them? But even though they look different, I want you to know they're completely not different. They're actually the same thing. Let me, let me explain what the words mean. In, in Hebrew, the word love mercy is the word chesed. You've heard me say that word before because I love to say it. It gives me a chance to clear my throat in the middle of my sermon. You didn't even know it. Chesed, right? <laughs> chesed. This is, this is the word that Jesus and God always use about himself. The character of God is chesed. He loves. And it means loving kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyalty, slow to anger, abounding in love. All of those things that you see, that's chesed. This week in our Advent lessons, I, I quoted I'm the Jesus Storybook Bible. Oh, I love that Bible. It's great for kids, but even better for adults, if you ask me. She always translates or interprets the word hesed like this, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever, love. I love that. My kids listen to that CD at night when they fall asleep, and almost in every story she says that, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever, love. That's what hesed is. So it's God's kind of love that he wants us to have. Always giving, always compassionate, always loving, never stopping. How many times do you want to stop loving somebody? <laughs> can, you, can you count on your hands how many people you stopped loving? <laughs> but the Bible says, this is how I want you to live. I want you to never stop. Never stop. Why? Because God, aren't you glad, doesn't stop loving you. So we should not stop loving others. And then there's this word justice. What is the word justice? Well, here's another fun Hebrew word. It's the word mishpat. See, I like to say that word because then I have an excuse to spit on you and you don't even know it. <laughs> Mishpat. <laughs> the, that's why no one wants to sit on the front row. <laughs> Mishpat is the word for justice or doing justice. And literally it means this, acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of the case, regardless of race and social status. Okay, regardless of race and social status. Justice is when... There's equality. You've, the crime deserves the punishment, and if the, and if the crime doesn't deserve the punishment, then there's no punishment, right? You either acquit them or punish them based on what they deserve. But we live, let me just be honest, we live in a society that doesn't actually do justice. The crime fits the bill of the lawyer, right? Or, or how you can work the system. And so some people who are poor or of a certain race hardly, and you know this because you see it on the news all the time, hardly have a chance in the court. Some people who are rich and of a certain race could swing things in their favor. And so is that justice? No, it's not. So true justice is determining the cause and the crime and either acquitting them or um, convicting them. And this is true for all people. That's justice. But we live in a kind of an unjust society. But 
Mishpat doesn't just mean that. It also means or to give people their rights, their just desserts, if you will. Um, what, what do, have you ever had your rights taken from you? You haven't? Well, let me just tell you a story. I paid like $200 over the course of two years for this web internet service, and they stole that money from me, and they would not give it back to me. And now I hate them. And I want them to, and I actually thought about driving to California and find out where they are and burn the building down. Have you ever thought about things like that? People, you need to have rights. People have rights. And people are getting robbed of their rights, left and right, all around us. And it creates a cycle of poverty, doesn't it? It does. So, justice is not just punishing people. It also is defending. If you're a person who does justice, I don't think... Micah 6 is saying, here's how I want you to live. Be Batman, right, and go get people. What he's saying is do justice, that is, defend the rights of those who can't defend themselves, the poor and the needy. That's what Proverbs 31.9 says, actually. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Because you, you just need to know this. Things are not stacked in their favor, right? stacked in another favor, and so we need to defend their rights, despite the fact that they make a lot of mistakes, but so do you and so do these people. We have to defend the rights of the needy. Timothy Keller says this, Mishpat, then, is giving people what they are due, whether that is punishment or protection or care. So Mishpat puts the emphasis on the action in this verse, do justice, love mercy, and Hesed puts it on the attitude or the motive behind the action. Does that make sense? Do justice, love mercy. If you have hesed in your heart, you love people, then you will be just to them. You'll do justice to them. You'll defend them. So that's what Micah 6, 8 says. Justice. Okay, can I just back up real quick and say something? Next week, I'm going to unpack the touchy subject of justice. That is social justice or social action or the social gospel. I mean, if, you, if you guys are thinking those thoughts in your head, raise your hand if you're thinking those thoughts right now in your head. I want to know who I'm talking to. None of you. Oh, good. I'm fine. I don't even have to do that next week then. Um, you need to know that in our, in our, in our culture and in America, there is um, a group of Christians, conservative Christians, who get their panties in a knot and start to run out of breath when someone like me starts to talk about giving to the poor because there was some history in our, in our country where um, um, social action or social justice or giving to the poor it equals liberalism. Does that make sense? And the go preaching the gospel and discipling people and making them morally you know, better is conservatism. And I want you to know that those two, are, that's not true. It's not true. The Bible says we're supposed to do this to the poor, so you're not liberal if you care for the poor. Does that make sense? I'm going to unpack all of that next week. Um, but in case you were starting to think, this guy's a liberal, because believe it or not, I preached a sermon once about how we should care for the poor, and I got accused of being a liberal. I don't go to that church anymore. All right. <clears throat> Something more I want to say about this word mishpat. It's used in the, in the Old Testament 200 times. 200 times you see the word mishpat, justice. And almost every single time it's used, almost every single time, it is accompanied by a group of four classes of people. Always you see this four, and when I say them, you're going to recognize them. And the four people are widows, or the fatherless, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. Over and over again, within 200 times, when you see the word do justice, in that same sentence, you'll hear, the, you'll hear this phrase, the fatherless, the widow, 
the, the uh, immigrant or the alien or the stranger and the poor. Over and over again. In fact, so much so that theologians call this the quartet of the vulnerable. This real, real easy way of saying the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. It's easier to say the quartet of the vulnerable. These four people, God seems to have a special place in his heart for. Four groups of people. This is what Zechariah says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the, and here's the four, but the widowless, I mean the widows, excuse me, or the fatherless, the immigrants, or the poor. And that's just one verse over hundreds of them. You'll see that. You probably have recognized that verse in the Bible quite a bit, right? The fatherless, the widow, the uh, stranger, or the alien, and the poor. Timothy Keller says this, the mishpat, or justice, or justness of a society, according to the Bible, is evaluated by how it treats these groups. Are we a just society? We will evaluate our justness by how we treat these four groups, according to the Bible. Any neglect shown to the needs of the members of this quartet is not called merely a lack of mercy or charity, but instead a violation of justice of mishpat. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. That is what it means to do justice. So again, we're asking ourselves in the next couple of weeks, are we generous people? Are we generous with our lives, with our gifts, with our finances, with our love, with our time? So, so now that we know, we're, now we know what justice and mercy is, let me give a couple of biblical reasons why we should be just people and merciful people. Or I'm just going to wrap it all up and say generous people. We're generous. And the first reason is because God is. Someone say amen. Isn't God generous? Overly generous. He doesn't have to be generous. When does he stop? He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop giving and giving and giving when we don't deserve. Um, let me just read you some passages about God. Psalms 146 says this, He executes justice, mishpat, for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. Okay, so the first half of that verse is that God doesn't just give and give and give, as you all said amen to that, but he gives to a certain group of people, poor people, widows, right? And then to move on, he says, but he also loves those of us who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. If you are not, if you are, if you are not being gracious and kind to these people, God will frustrate your ways. Deuteronomy 10 says this, the Lord your God defends the cause, mishpat, of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. So God loves, he is a God, has a, Man, I cannot tell you how many verses in Scripture. God has a special place in his heart for that quartet. And spiritually speaking, we're all in that quartet, right? We're all poor spiritually. We're all in great need. We're all, you know, alone, fatherless. Now, let me explain something else. It's also very striking, and I, you probably missed this, so I want to explain it to you so you don't miss it ever again. Not just that God has a concern for these people, but that God actually introduces himself as the God of those people. Have you noticed that in scripture? It's striking how often he does it. He says, I am the God of the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, 
and the poor. I'm the God of that person. Now, sometimes I get the privilege of speaking at different churches or different conferences, and you know how this works when you are a guest speaker. Someone comes up and introduces the guest speaker, and then you get up and you speak. And when they introduce you, they always, if you're a pastor, introduce you by your name and where you preach or where you pastor. So here's Michael Satterfield. He's the pastor of Seasons of Faith Church. Welcome with me now. And then they get up. But you know what? That's not really who I am. You know what I mean? I am a preacher. I'm a pastor of Seasons of Faith, but I'm so much more. There's so many things about me that they could have said that would have been true, and it might have even shared a little bit more about who I am. Like, I love food. Huh? I like taco. I like Mexican food. And I love movies. And I like to go hiking. And I like um, Chinese food. And, 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 I, and I love my children. I'm a father. I have four children. And I have a wife. And she's beautiful. And I love her, too. And I like Italian food. And, and I... <laughs> Sometimes I like to smoke a cigar, but I hate, I hate lawn work, okay? So, so there's some things about me that would actually reveal a little bit more than he's just the pastor of Jesus' faith. But the thing that I do most in my life is be a pastor, right? Ministering, I'm writing, I'm reading, I'm studying, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, going to meetings. <laughs> so, so that's the thing that I do most. So it does describe who I am mostly. But there's so much more about me. It's the same with God. There's so many things about God, right? He's joy, he's love, he's peace, he's great. But the thing that the Bible always introduced him as is the God of the fatherless, the widow, the, the alien or the stranger, the immigrant, and the poor. Which means the Bible is saying this is what God does the most. This is the thing that God does most of the time. Yeah, he likes Mexican food, but most of the time he cares for the poor. That's, that's who God is, and that is just unbelievable. Timothy Keller says, realize then how significant it is that the Bible writers introduce God as a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. This is one of the main things he does in the world. He identifies with the powerless, and he takes up their cause. He says, I will be your God. And, and if I could just put that up on a higher stratus for you, every other culture that has a God that God doesn't align himself or relate himself to the poor. That God aligns himself to the top of the escalon, right? The top of the class. So, so, in, the, and so in the ancient world, we saw um, pharaohs or Caesar. There is no God but Caesar. It was always the king and, God, and the God, whatever God they thought you know, they were worshiping, would align himself with that king, the pharaoh or the Caesar. It's completely upside down for Yahweh to identify himself as the God of the quartet of the vulnerable. Do you see that? Pretty amazing. Psalms 68 says, his name is the Lord, father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely into families, and he sets the prisoner free, and he gives them joy. Hundreds of verses in scripture where God defines himself as the defender, the father, the father of, the giver of the poor. Okay, so let's ask another question. Why should we be generous? Because God is? Yes. But if God is generous, then how should his people, people who he's called out by his name, people who he's saved and rescued, how should we be? Should we be generous? Someone say yes. Yeah. Should we be the defender of the weak? Should we be the father of the fatherless? Should we... We, should we visit those in prison? Yeah, Jesus said that, didn't he? We are the image of God, which means we reflect who he is. And if we're not reflecting who he is, 
Something's wrong, isn't it? Desperately wrong. Whoever, Proverbs 14 says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. The writer of Proverbs can say that because he knows we reflect who God is. And if God is that kind of person and we don't reflect that, but we say we're his, then we've dishonored him. I love Jesus, but you. <laughs> right? I love God, but I just, I just, your type just irritate me. Right? <laughs> Thanks for laughing. I need a little, I like feedback. I like feedback. It's like, okay, thank you. If we're not generous and we're not kind, then something's wrong. We insult our maker. But if we're, listen to this, if we're generous to the needy, we honor, not ourselves, not even the needy, we honor God. Meditate on that this week. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves, Proverbs 31 says, for the rights of all who are destitute. Be a defender of the weak. Step up for them. Jeremiah 22, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, to the fatherless, to the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. See, I'm just hitting on some of these verses and they all say the same thing, don't they? And this is just a handful of them. So we are supposed to be like God. Cursed, Deuteronomy 27 says, Cursed be anyone who withholds the justice due to the immigrant, to the refugee, the fatherless, the widow. Then all the people shall say, oh, man, I forgot to tell you before I read this verse. That this is, God actually wrote a worship service in Deuteronomy. I don't know if you've read it or not, but it's like one of those, those call and response worship services where the, the priest would say this and the people would say amen. And this is in within that worship service. You know, remember in the old days when you went to a liturgical church and you stood up and you would say, Blessed be the Lord our Father, and blessing to you also. You know, you do that. Well, this is what God wrote in the, in the Old Testament. He said, Cursed be anyone who withholds the justice due to the immigrant, the fatherless, and the widow. And then all the people shall say, Amen. God wanted, thank you, God wanted it to be woven into their worship so they would never forget. God was trying to make Israel to be a, known as a nation who was generous and kind to the immigrant and to the poor and to the weak. Did you know that? God set up laws for Israel. It says, this is how you should live. The year of Jubilee, I'll talk about that next week, you know, where you just forgive people of their debt. The farmers were not allowed to, to, to harvest the corner of their fields. They were supposed to be generous and leave that corner open so that the poor and the immigrant could come in and you know, harvest for themselves and get some corn. God wants Israel in the Old Testament to be known as generous people. Amen, is what he says. So God is, is generous, just and um, giving. So he wants his people to be generous. One more thing. What about Jesus? What does Jesus say about being generous to the poor and to those in need? Um, I, I could say a lot, right? Fortunately, most of you were here last spring when we covered all of Jesus' life in the parables, and so you kind of can just refer to that if your memory will, will allow you. Um, uh, and, and so for the sake of time, instead of sharing all that I could share about Jesus, because you know, you know, Jesus said, you've done not to Lisa, these you've done not to me. You know, God, you know, Jesus said this stuff all the time. I'm just going to share one verse, which I think is probably most relevant even for the Christmas season. And it's a doozy as well. Look at it. Jesus rebukes a man who invited him to his house for dinner. And Jesus says this, when you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, 
or your rich neighbors. If you do that, then they might invite you back and so they will pay you. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind who cannot repay you. And God, Jesus goes on to say, and you will store up treasures in heaven. I remember looking at this verse last spring thinking, how are we supposed to apply this? Oh, don't. Don't apply it. Because we don't. <laughs> Am I right? Have we applied this verse? We must think that Jesus wasn't talking to us. He was talking to Simon, right? Not us. In fact, the famous hymn writer, John Newton, who wrote the famous song, Amazing Grace. You, know, you guys know Amazing Grace, right? How sweet that sound. He says this. 1800s, he said this. One would almost think that Luke 14, 12 through 14 was not considered part of God's word, nor has any part of Jesus' teaching been more neglected by his own people. He goes on to say this. Now, I do not think it is unlawful to entertain our friends. <laughs> you can do that. I'm doing that. We're having a party yeah, uh, in a couple weeks. But if these words do not teach us that it is, in some respects, our duty to give a preference to the poor, I'm at loss to understand what they mean. What does this passage that Jesus gives us mean? You know, over the Christmas holidays, you might have an opportunity to invite some poor or um, the needy or the crippled to your home. Why not? I mean, I'd like us to embark on this journey being generous this Christmas. And, and, and what a better time to do it when we're thinking about buying presents for your aunt and your uncle and your sister and your brother. Why not think about someone who you really could bless? Drop their jaw one Tuesday afternoon. Just love them. But let me, let me just surprise you with something different. Uh, today I want to do what's called a reverse offering. Remember how I told you I don't like pastors talking about money and I'm not here talking about you need to give more money? Well, let me just prove that by saying instead of you giving money, I'm going to give it to you. Well, not me, but the church itself is going to give it to you. I don't have enough money to give you money. But, but the church itself, we're just going to give it away. So what we have is an offering plate. And we're going to pass this offering plate around like the old traditional churches do, right? And instead of putting money in, I want you to take one $5 bill out. I know, it's just $5. Um, I don't know if $5 is going to solve your friend's problem. But if you just take $5 and consider what you can do with it this week to be generous, you might have an interesting week. I, I'm, I'm thinking you will. Just $5. God, you've given, think about this, God has given you literally, I mean, God's given you all that you have, we forget that, but literally today God's going to give you $5, the crisp, clean, freshly printed $5 bill, okay? And what I want you to do is say, I'm going to consider someone to bless this week, and I'm going to be generous, and you don't have to take credit for it, you don't have to give the church credit for it, it's really, this is just an exercise in learning to take small steps in generosity. And before I pass this around, I want to just show you this quick little video. Okay, so I think we're going to try that too. And my hope is that this is going to take you out of your comfort zone and just do something small. Or you could make it big like this lady did and raise $5,000. And so before we pass this out, um, I also want to just say, figure we probably need some rules. And the rules is please take just one $5 bill. <laughs> this is a reverse offering, but you don't just get to say, the Lord told me to take two. Um, number two, bless someone with it this week. You've got one week to do it. You know, this is like, this is going to burn a hole in your pocket, literally, right? I've got it in my pocket. I've got to find someone to bless. The, th the third rule is you can't keep it. 
I think that's pretty obvious, don't you? I mean, we're generous people. We're not selfish people. You can't keep it. Or also spend it on your immediate family. Say, well, this is what I needed to buy, you know, my wife a coffee tomorrow. Um, and then here's my fourth, my fourth one. This is mine. Don't be a chicken. What do I mean by that? Please, and I, and I know some of you disagree with me on this, but I'm just going to be honest with you. Please don't pay for the person's meal behind you at McDonald's, okay? I'm going to give you two reasons why that's, a, I think, a bad idea. I know Joy FM you know, requires you to do it all the time, but I think it's a horrible idea, and here's why. First of all, it doesn't, it doesn't affect you, you know what I mean? The person's behind you, and you don't see them, and all you do is bless the person behind you, and then you get all the credit for it, and then you drive off. That's not, that's not real generosity, I don't think. That's just, it's, it's, I mean, if you do it, fine, but you're being a chicken. Second reason why I don't like doing that is because most of the time the person who gets blessed that way then feels like they have to bless the person behind them and then it's a never ending cycle until the person who finally says, okay, thanks, and drives away. And then all the people who are working at McDonald's are very frustrated because this is very hard for them. <laughs> like, what do we do? I don't know. He's paid for it already. I don't know what to do. I got friends who work in the you know, service industry and they say, I hate it when people do this. And then everyone in, in McDonald's doesn't think, oh, how great it was of that person who started it. What they really think is, look at the person who didn't keep doing it, idiot. You know what I mean? And so I don't really think that's a good idea. Another thing someone have done is just like taped it to a wall and said, here, take it. <laughs> God bless you. I think that's being a chicken. What I really want us to do is to have to have, and I'm going to talk about this next week more, a relationship with someone. Hey, I, I got this extra $5 this week. I was wondering if I could buy you lunch. You might have to kick in a little bit more these days, to say the truth, but, you know, just do that. You've got to actually have a conversation with someone, or you can think outside the box and start a GoFundMe plan or plan or, or buy, a, buy something that can really blow up on you. And then what I, and the last rule is, is this. I want you to tell us what you did with it. So next week I'll have an opportunity for you to write that down on a piece of paper, and some of you are going to have some, I'm just praying that this is going to happen, some of you are going to have some amazing stories, tears, joy, some just, oh my gosh, I never thought that this $5 could be so meaningful to someone. And I, want to, and I actually want to challenge you to maybe prepare yourself to share those stories out loud. I want to make some time next week for some stories, okay? I mean, we're making an investment in you for those stories, essentially. Because it's part of, I think, what it means to learn to be generous. That's what we do as parents, right? We give kids our money and say, be generous with it. Uh, and then eventually they'll learn to say, I can do this with my own money now. So that's what I want us to do. I want to close with one verse and then pray. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 9. I just want to end us, end us with our thoughts on Christ. Uh, it says, You are familiar with the generosity of our Master Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. So go be generous this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the most generous God and you care for the poor.